Let me say happy, uh, happy Reformation Day, right? Um, I'm, I'm not sure we're used to calling it that, but uh, today is Reformation Day. Maybe you didn't realize um, that it's not just Halloween. It's the day that we, we actually celebrate the work of reformers like Martin Luther. And if you want to hear about, more about Martin Luther, I'm actually going to be doing a, uh, uh, like a storytelling to kids tonight uh, at Anniston Bible Church. I'd love for you to be a part of that. It would be a lot of fun. Uh, to tell his story. But about 500 years ago, Martin Luther stood up to the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church and the false teaching of the day to declare that no man can buy forgiveness. No, indulgences sold to you by the church will not help you in eternity. Salvation is only in Christ alone. That was part of Martin Luther's message, and it's only for God's glory alone. Well, no man can work his way into God's favor. No, it's not your earning or your effort. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, that men are justified. Martin Luther read Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that says the just shall live by faith. And it was the most liberating thing he'd ever read. Because he'd worked so hard to be in favor with God. And every day he felt like a failure. And then he read that verse and he thought, the just shall live by faith. Well, that's freeing. (laughs) Well, Martin Luther also believed that all people, all people, me and you, need to be able to know God through his scripture. Not just some elite group that can... um, read the Bible and manipulate the words to give themselves authority and power. No, we together and individually, we trust in Scripture alone. So on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church house door there in Wittenberg, Germany. And uh, it's been a, a radical transformation ever since. Those 95 statements of truth is where uh, we kind of draw out, I think, five main ideas. They're called the five solas. And it is this. We believe in Scripture alone. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And all of that comes to us really through Martin Luther and other reformers. And it helps, I think, to know our history so that uh, we don't... Repeat it. God has given you the tools to know the truth from error, right? And if you can read, you can know God and you can know the truth of God. Uh, This is the priesthood of all believers. Well, Martin Luther lit the torch of truth, exposed the spirit of error. And um, what we learn from that is that even the church and her leaders can get caught up in the deception of the enemy. How many of you know that to be true? That even the church can get caught up in lies. Well, John's going to deal with that actually in our text today. It's, um, uh, well, I would say circumstance or coincidence, but we'll just say the Holy Spirit has led us to, to this um, moment where we're looking at that, that truth and that reality in the text today. One of the primary roles hot up here, of a pastor is to shepherd the flock, right? To feed the sheep a steady diet of the truth of God from His Word. Well, this sometimes consists of both teaching and warning. And today we'll 
will comprise uh, both of those things. Today's text gives us glorious truth, but it also bears uh, a lot of warning to us. So we must be on guard against the enemy. Not every spirit, not every spiritual voice is trustworthy. One thing we know, contrary to many of the costumes you see this, this weekend, uh, the devil doesn't present himself in red tights with horns and a tail and a pitchfork. That's not how he presents himself. No, he is an angel of light. And as he did with Jesus, he will use even the scripture to move you just one or two degrees off the path God has for you. He's very crafty. He'll work any angle he can to deceive you. So in our text today, John is pastoring us. The Apostle John is pastoring the churches, including us. And here's what he says. This is uh, uh, something you'll maybe remember from your childhood. He says, oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Would you stand with me as we read from God's word? First John chapter four. I'm just going to read the first six verses together today, calling this message Tests for Truth. Tests for Truth. Let's read from God's Word. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Our Father, we come now under the authority of your word. And we ask that you teach us by your spirit. Make us more like your son. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So this particular holiday, uh, Halloween, I'm talking about. We do a lot of crazy things. We uh, we dress up in wild costumes. We send our kids uh, to knock on strangers' doors. <laughs> it's like all the things we've ever taught our children. We're like, hey, you know, just let's go have fun, right? Uh, we send our kids to knock on strangers' doors, some of which intend to scare them senseless. And we do it anyway. We, we feed them candy until they get sick and rot their teeth out. And it's all um, a blast. Uh, it's, it's fun. It has to be the most unusual holiday tradition ever. And several years back... Um, Something really disturbing happened. People began uh, finding that the candy they were given had been tampered with. In some cases, needles or little pieces of glass 
Even razor blades have been found inside candy. And I think to myself, who would put a weapon like that in the hand of a kid to, to, to harm them? I mean, who, who does this? The candy pieces look fine on the outside, but they had been altered to be incredibly dangerous on the inside. Well, John writes this letter like a parent warning his children, be careful what you eat. Be careful, test it, be sure it's good, be sure it's true, be sure it's right, be sure it's what you think it is. It's dangerous. John's writing like a parent to us to say, oh, be careful what you hear, what you see, what you listen to. Some things look good on the outside, but they're dangerous on the inside. Last time we, we finished up chapter three and we, we noted that John says that we have passed from death to life. We know that when we genuinely love one another. We talked about that last time. But he ends chapter 3 in verse 23, he, or verse 24, he adds that we, we know that we abide in God when God's Spirit abides in us. That is the truth. We abide in God when His Spirit abides in us. When you confess your sins to God and you turn to Him as the Lord of your life, in that moment, you are born again and God puts his spirit inside of you. This is the truth. God doesn't just come to be with us like he did with Jesus. He comes to dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. What John teaches now in chapter four is he says there are going to be those who claim to have the Holy Spirit living in them. They're going to say things on behalf of God, but they are false prophets. John's warning believers to filter the teachings that we listen to. He opens with a negative imperative command. Do not believe every spirit. Followed by its positive inverse. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Now he explains in the next little section that for for many prophets have gone out into the world. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. He said, this is a serious problem. Don't take it lightly. So before we dig into John's instructions, let's just take kind of a a, a 30,000 foot view really quickly and and establish some overarching truth. Here's the truth. Tell me if you believe this. There is a spiritual war. So don't be naive. There is a spiritual war. I notice that John doesn't just begin by saying, hey, don't believe every preacher. No, he goes to the root of the problem. It's not just that there's a preacher or a false prophet saying lies. He's getting what's behind that. What's behind that is that there is an evil spirit motivating that false preacher. And he gets behind it to say, you can't trust every spirit. There is a war raging and it's a spiritual war like Leslie was talking about. We as followers of Jesus, we are at war, but our battle, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians, is not against flesh and blood, but powers, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Listen, you need to listen in really closely here because every area of our lives Our marriages, our jobs, 
our neighborhoods, our families, our churches are under attack. And the scope of the enemy's influence is broader than we know. He is uh, tampering with everything. Taking something good and beautiful and planting in it very dangerous things. However he can get to your heart, he's going to try it. I'm telling you these things because you need to know you have an enemy, an adversary. And the Bible says he's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I don't want us to over-spiritualize everything. But I don't think that's our problem, mainly. Most of us are usually unable to see the work of the evil one. We usually just say, well, you know, that you know, just so happened that you know, this kind of fell apart. Or I, I hate that happened, but you know, blah, blah, blah. Or we say, well, it was just a coincidence. Or maybe we say, well, I, I, I stumbled when really um, you were pushed <laughs> and tripped. At the same time, right? I think probably our default error is not to give too much credit to the enemy, but not to acknowledge him enough. And I think um, it's time that we wake up. It's time that we wake up to see what our enemy is actually all about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul gives us a really good glimpse about what he does. Look on the screen with me, if you will. Um, Talking about unbelievers, Paul says, in their case, the God of this world, lowercase g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What is he ultimately up to? He's ultimately up to keeping people from seeing who Jesus really is. He wants to keep anybody and everybody from trusting Christ. And so he's blinding our eyes. And he'll do that a lot of different ways, you know. But the battle that we face is unavoidable. Listen, you don't get to draft dodge as a believer. When you come to Christ, you come to battle. He's hunting us and he is relentless. We have an enemy. and He's vicious. This enemy will convince you. College students. High school students. He will convince you that. Purity is old fashioned. Morality doesn't really matter. The standards that your parents taught you are old school. He will sabotage your marriage. He's sneaky. He'll take something you're doing for good and twist it for evil. The enemy will attack your kids. Anything to get you off track. He will attack your children. He will lure you in with empty pleasure. I'll never forget um, a few years ago, a really good friend of mine really close follower of Jesus was offered a a big raise. I mean, she uh, was offered a a promotion in her work and it was going to mean a big deal for her family. 
And she asked us to pray over it. We prayed with her. And she came back later and she said, I turned it down. I said, wow. Why did you do that? I mean, it sounded amazing. Car. I mean, it was a double salary. It was. She said, I felt like it wasn't from the Lord. I felt like the enemy wanted to hand me the world stuff so I would let go of Jesus. And I thought, how discerning. Do you know not every opportunity is from God? The God of this world wants to blind your eyes to the goodness of the one true God. And if he can put something in your hand to captivate you with little toys and trinkets, he will. That's easy. That's easy. He wants to shut down your witness to others that are on the path to eternal death. So let's just first acknowledge there is a spiritual battle and we have a very real enemy. The second thing that 1 John 4 is teaching us is this enemy is a deceiver. He's a deceiver. Jesus said in John 8, 44, the the devil is a liar. When he speaks lies, he's speaking his native language. So... That's his native tongue is to tell lies. The enemy's crafty, deceptive. He uses, listen, we're being warned here about false prophets. So get it. The enemy is lying to you through people who claim to be Jesus followers. How deceptive is that? How twisted is that? Well, it's like putting razor blades in candy. Teachers in churches even. Being used by the enemy. And John is calling for warning. Like we need to warn each other. And then teaching of the truth. So he gives us two imperatives. He says, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits. I'm going to dig into that in just a moment. Then he reminds us that many prophets have gone out into the world. This is not a new thing. It's not a new thing, right? Ever since the Lord started speaking to his people, other people have stepped in and tried to play God. Um, think back through the scriptures with me. We'll walk through a few together. In Exodus chapter 7, Moses comes to um, obey God to deliver the people from Egypt. And he comes in and one of the big miracles that God worked was he turned the water of the Nile River into blood. Do you remember this? Moses took his staff and touched the river and all that water in Egypt turned to blood. I mean, fish died. Everything was sinking. It was awful. Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, this is the work of God. And he's saying, let the people go. Well, Pharaoh's magicians took some water, sprinkled some dust in it and somehow worked some magic to imitate, to to counterfeit the miracle of God. And what happened was the miracle that was intended to prop up a message, the miracle was counterfeited and the message was dismissed. This is the work of the enemy. Right? Pharaoh's heart was hardened to Moses. And that happened over and over again. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, God warns his people about false prophets in Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 6. In fact, I think I want to read some of Deuteronomy to you. We'll have it on the screen if you just want to read along with me. Deuteronomy 13, the Lord says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. 
And then he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord, your God is testing you. Do you see that? That God is even using a false prophet to test the faithfulness of his people. The Lord, your God is testing you to know whether you love God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord, your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. For he has taught rebellion against the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord, your God, commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, purge the evil from your midst. Flip over a few pages if you're in your Bible. Deuteronomy 18, the Lord warns now um, he doesn't just warn that false prophets will come, he gives a warning to the false prophets. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 18, in verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how can we know the word the Lord has spoken or has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord and the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously and you need not be afraid of him. So check this out just quickly here. We, we can we can say a couple of things right there. If the Lord says it, it happens, right? If a liar says it, it doesn't happen. But now what? What does the Lord say or how does he warn somebody who speaks and says things like, thus says the Lord, but the Lord didn't say. God says that prophet shall die. Why why is that such a big deal? Because God's word matters and God doesn't want anybody speaking on his behalf saying things he has not said. There's got to be a reverence for what the Lord has said and what he has not said. And this warning is not just for uh, prophets out there. This is for us in here. Listen, church, be very careful that you don't find yourself in this trap saying things like the Lord has said to me to say to you, if that's not true. Don't speak those things. God is serious about his word being his word. And we ought to be very careful that we don't put words in his mouth. He does not think well of that. So let's be warned. I'm not saying all that is all bad. I'm saying you better have heard from God if you've got something to say to somebody. Let me tell you the safest way to do that. Speak this word to one another. There's no denying this is God's words. We want to know what God has said. Let's listen to his voice through his written word. We can trust in him. And his word is sufficient. We don't have to go seeking a new word from God. He's given us a good word already. Let's be careful, church, that we do not use God to give authority to our own words. And let's be mindful that there are those who do. 
So how can you know who to believe? That's the question of this text. How can you know who to believe? And John says, we are not to be spiritually gullible. We are, we are to exercise a healthy kind of skepticism. Not believing anybody and everybody who gives us a word from the Lord. I mean, just because they say that doesn't mean it's true. They better check out with what God has said in his word. And so the Lord says through John, test the spirits. So how do we test? Well, around Christmas last year, I started getting a little bit sick. And uh, I was in the shower that morning, ironically. Um, I don't know why we're talking about showers so much today. Uh, but I was in the shower that morning. And I took my little shampoo um, conditioner slash body wash because it's three in one because I'm a man. Uh, we do that. We do that three in one. You know, we don't need a whole bunch of bottles to get it done. We get it done. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pumping. And I get that stuff. And all of a sudden I'm like, I don't smell anything. I thought, this is strange. This stuff usually has a really stout aroma. You know, it's like a manly smell, you know. And I don't even know if it cleans me, but it smells real good. You know? uh, so I, I dried up, finished my shower. I walked straight out of the shower. I go straight across the room uh, to that Vicks Vapo Rub because I used it the night before. And I thought, my golly, I unscrewed that lid. I stuck my nose in it. Nothing. I knew the dreaded Rona had gotten me. And I walked out there. I said, Lauren, baby, I, I've got it. I've got it. She's like, what do you mean you've got it? I said, I can't smell anything. Give me something to eat. Whatever it was she handed me, couldn't taste that either. I said, I've got it. She said, well, you've got to go get tested. And I said, baby, I don't know of another sickness that takes away my... Smell and taste. I, I can't think of anything else that does that. She's like, you, you still have to go take that test. Okay. So she insisted. I went anyway, got tested. Now, I, side note, I did not know how easily accessible my brain was through my nostrils <laughs> until that day. Um, I'm not sure how they do it, but that Q-tip that goes way up there. Maybe they stick it, in, stick it in something, you know, some chemical or something that turns purple and purple is positive. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how it works, but here's what I know. I tested positive. Well, tests like this are used to bring suspicion to certainty. And John says, test the spirits. There are those who will use God and his word even. To get what they really want. Money. Power. Influence. Fame. They don't truly love God. They love the things of this world that John warned us about earlier in chapter 2. And God is not the source of their strength or their hope or their affection. No, he's just a means to some other end. Ironically, as they use God, Satan is using them. The enemy uses these false prophets to lead many astray and to keep so many from trusting Christ. He, the enemy, will swoop in like a vulture and snatch up the seed of the gospel through the teaching of a false prophet. 
So what are the tests? How do we test? The first is a test of confession. That's what the scripture says here in 1 John 4 is a test of confession. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So we're testing what does this Spirit say? Specifically, what does the Spirit say about Jesus Christ? And John says it must confess, the Spirit must confess something very specific. And it's crazy that he goes back to this same theme. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Will y'all say that with me from verse 2? Just that phrase, ready? Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now I want to walk through what that means. Three things it means. Jesus Christ. Do you know what his name means? Jesus is the, uh, the name of Joshua in the Old Testament. And it means this. Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. That's who Jesus is. Christ is the, is the name that means anointed one or chosen one as the eternal king. So when we call him Jesus Christ, we're not speaking his first and last name. We're speaking his, his essence, his title. It's who he is. He's Jesus. Jehovah saves. And he's Christ, the anointed eternal king. That's who Jesus Christ is. The second thing in this truth is that Jesus is God. Now look at, look at it. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. We've already talked about this a little bit, but just to reiterate, when I talk about my babies being born, I don't say they have come. I say they were born. But Jesus wasn't just born, he came. What does that mean? What does it insinuate? Well, it means he existed before he came. And he came from somewhere, and he came on his own. (laughs) Jesus came because Jesus is God. And that's the truth that the Spirit must be confessing. Jesus Christ, Jehovah saves, anointed king, and Jesus is God. He came wasn't just born. He eternally existed as the Son of God, as a part of the Trinity. We read back when you read in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created. Who was a part of that? The Son. The Son was there. How do we know that? Well, John says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Nothing that was made was made apart from Him. Everything was made through Him and by Him and for Him. Jesus is God. And the third reality, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. What does that mean? Well, it means he came as a man, right? So Jesus is man. These are three realities that a spirit must confess to be true, to be of God. It must confess things about Jesus, that he is the eternal king come to save. He is God and he is man. So we're talking about the incarnation again. Now, what are the implications? Because this is where it gets a little hairy. What are the implications of the incarnation? This is why John harps on this so, so much. It's because there's no one like Jesus. 
There is none other that can save you. There is no other God-man. There is no other fully God, fully man, sent by God as the eternal Son who has come and died on your behalf. There is no other Savior. There is no other hope for anyone. Now, it is about our salvation. But, listen, the implications of the incarnation are this. If Jesus is God, and He is, then His words are non-negotiable. What He said is God's Word. If He spoke it, that settles it. It's not debatable. If He's God, and He is, then His actions are are perfect. The psalmist writes and says, the Lord does all that He wishes and all that He does is just and right. And if Jesus is the Lord, His actions are perfect. His example is ultimate. There is no higher standard than Jesus. And here's the best news yet. If this is true, then His sacrifice is sufficient. I love telling our Celebrate Recovery family family every Thursday. I love telling them, listen, you may think you're too far gone, but not for Jesus. His sacrifice is sufficient to save the worst, the worst of us. Thank God for that, right? So listen to me, church, to reject or skirt around Jesus' teachings is to reject his deity. It is to say, well, you know, he was a good teacher, but I don't have to agree with everything he said. That's the spirit of the enemy. And if that's your position, you do not believe Jesus is God. To reject Jesus is to reject the Father. That's what John said in 1 John 2.23. Lots of people today love to soften or modernize Jesus' teachings. Listen, he doesn't need to be modernized. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. And it doesn't matter how much our culture changes, the truth of Christ is unchanging. Some people say, well, I mean, Jesus lived a long time ago. Surely what he really meant was... And we like to you know, reinterpret, sort of twist his words to, to fit our cultural understandings. And what we're doing there is we're saying, Jesus is a good guy, but he's not God. And John says, test the spirits. If they deny the deity of Jesus, it's not from God. I'm telling you, this is subtle. Trust the true Jesus, all of him, all of him. When there's a rub, listen, listen, when there is a rub between what you think And what Jesus says, he's not wrong. Remember, this was a big deal to Jesus himself. He asked his disciples in Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? Then he probed even more personally. He says, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter finally calls out, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you because flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. That came to you from God. That's the truth about who I am. That came to you from God. 
To know and trust the true Christ is to have your eyes opened by God himself to see it, to see him for who he is. All right, I've got to move. I could keep going. So there's the test of confession. There's the test of reception. I want you to notice at the end of this text, John says, um, they, verse five, are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Listen, the world will gladly receive the message that is from the world. (laughs) Jesus promised that the world would hate us if. We are like him and we carry his message. So it should raise our eyebrows when a preacher is rich and famous, when he has a massive following, when he goes on Oprah, when he's well loved by the world. Listen, when when there's a prophet or preacher who is well received by the world, we ought to go. Something's not quite right because. Memory serves me like Jesus was crucified by the world. So why are they celebrating this guy? John says not every spirit is so easily recognized. To know a fraud, you must know the truth. I don't know if you know this, but the best way to expose a counterfeit counterfeit is to know the real deal. Can't spend all our time picking apart every evil spirit. But if you spend your time knowing the Holy Spirit, you'll be okay. John says, whoever knows God listens to us. What does he mean by us? Uh, There is some disagreement among some scholars. I was reading different people to see what he means here. Here's what I think. I could be wrong. But I believe he's referring back to those who saw, heard, and touched Jesus. When he says us, those who know God. They listen to us. I think he's talking from an apostolic place. Let me explain why I think that. These apostles, capital A apostles, by the way, there are no more of those. I don't care if someone says they're an apostle. They are not. There are no more capital A apostles. There are people with an apostolic gift, but no more capital A apostles. We learned that in Acts chapter 1. Remember when they replaced Judas They had all these parameters. It has to be a man who has been with us from the beginning, who's heard his teachings, who's seen him crucified, who saw him raised from the dead. That's an apostle. There's no one like that today. So they were the ones that Jesus taught how to read the scripture. Do you remember in Luke 24 when Jesus came back to the upper room and resurrected Christ? And the Bible says in Luke 24, he opened the scriptures to them and he taught them all about himself from the scripture. Jesus taught his apostles how to know the Bible, how to study, how to preach the Bible in a new covenant kind of a way. And when the church was first formed, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and they gathered all these thousands of people. They gathered and the Bible says they devoted themselves to what? The apostles teaching. Do you see? It's on the screen. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. You're right. Prayer is right. Not a wrong answer. The apostles teaching. So the original message. So, so how do we devote ourselves to the apostles teaching? How do we do that? We spend our lives 
learning God from his word. We preach through books of the Bible. We take the time that it takes to know the truth of God through the truth of his word. We don't we don't presume a level of authority or knowledge that's not ours. We all come together as students before the word of God as learners who need his Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. That's how we know God. But there are those who would want to stand in front of you and presume to have some kind of thing that you can't have. Some kind of supernatural thing. It's garbage. John's saying you can know God through the Holy Spirit and through His Word. Last truth from this text. This is the best news I have to share with you. Number three, the battles rage on. But the war is already won. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus is greater. In John four or first John four, four, first John right here in this text, John tells us greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Jesus. The Holy Spirit in us, the Spirit of Christ is greater. Romans 8 verse 37, Paul says, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Listen, here's the good news you can trust from John, the apostle. He says, you are from God. If you if you've confessed Christ as your Lord, then God has come into you and you have a new DNA. You've been born again. And the word says you are from God, not of this world. You have overcome them. How are you just that strong? Are you that good? No, for greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Jesus is greater. The spirit of Christ in you has made you an overcomer. You're made new from the inside out. The command center of your heart has a new commander. You you've moved over. Holy Spirit has moved in. Out with the old, dead heart, in with a new heart, where God writes his law on your heart, not on stone tablets. Your compass is from the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Jesus said of him that he will guide you into all truth. So trust in him. Church, listen, trust in him. He is greater. He's greater. The way to win spiritual battle is to trust the word of Christ. Testify to the work of Christ. And listen to the spirit of Christ. His blood has purchased our salvation. And his spirit gives us the power of God for transformation. So church, two quick things. Beware of false prophets. Are you listening to the wrong teachers? Watch out. Don't don't take the candy from those strangers. They aren't what they seem. They cannot be trusted. And secondly, are you trusting in the one who is greater? Are you confessing the true Jesus Christ? Are you taking him for who he is and all that he said 
is true. No matter what the world says, no matter what my heart feels, no matter what my flesh wants, if Jesus said it, I submit my life to that. That's the incarnation. That's the Spirit of Christ. Right now, while the enemy is accusing the brothers, Jesus is advocating for the brothers. Right now, He died for us and He is defending us in prayer. He will come again for us. The war is already won. Put your hope in Christ. I want to read to you, but I want you to stand for this just because, well, just because it's the victory. I want us to read from Revelation chapter 12. As we finish this morning, this is a declaration of victory that this John was privileged to see a great vision. And this is what he says. Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse nine. Listen to this. And the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. The one who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Our enemy, our foe has been defeated. And so we need only come to the battle with faith in a victorious king. We can trust in Christ. He has already won the battle. And as we go, we go with a discerning spirit, not trusting every spirit, Trusting fully in the Holy Spirit. Amen.